This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The trade war with China escalates. Is 2018 the year of the trucking capacity crunch? BNSF and the future of coal. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss these topics and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. What you got there, Chad? Well, today, JP, I've got a St. Teresa's Pale Ale from the shout out to the Asheville Brewing Company. One cool thing about uh, the Asheville Brewing Company is that founded in 1994, they are Asheville's first legal brewery since Prohibition. Wow. Yeah, and this one, this particular one's kind of a classic golden, uh, golden pale ale. Uh, you know, it's got some Cascade hops, um, and apparently they do this like whole leaf hop thing where they, you know, you get some hop on the back end, and then they also do a dry hopping technique where you do the hopping uh, after you've you've brewed. Hip-hop, hippity-hop. <laughs> it creates this kind of, uh, as they say, delicate citrus nose and assertive American hop flavor. I just kind of find it, you know, just a nice, solid, easy-drinking pale ale. And what you got, dog? Well, you know me. I got the Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Um, it is made with 100% Centennial hops and is bursting with aromas. More importantly, it has a 7.0 ABV. It does? Yep. No wonder it has the high price tag, too, of $22 for a 12-pack. Didn't even know that. Thanks for that, Chad. High end. Um, Well, you know what? Today, there's been a lot of talk about real news and fake news, what with the Facebook scandal of late, and in light of this week also, beginning with April Fool's, we thought we'd play fake news or real news. Uh JP, are you ready? We're just going to ask you like five. I'm going to give you like five headlines. Okay. And, and I you, have to say fake news or real headlines? That's correct. Okay. I hope you're ready. All right. Truck carrying dough overflows after heat makes it rise. I'm going to say that's a real headline. Correct. Real nice. as can be. Nice. The dump truck that happened to be carrying bread dough down a Washington interstate this summer got a little too hot, causing the dough to rise and overflow from the truck. Wow, was it a reefer, you know, by any chance? I don't know, but cops spotted the truck dropping balls of growing dough. And they actually shared the photos on social media before they helped to clean up the mess. <clears throat> we won't explain every headline here uh, for <clears throat> time's sake, but here's number two. Even CEO can't figure out how Radio Shack's still in business. Real headline. Well, no, it was actually an onion headline. <laughs> so that's that's fake news. Okay. So <laughs> well, I can't figure that out was, how Radio Shack is still in business. <laughs> that was, I've literally that never was been tricky. Um, okay, ready for this one? EPA Chief Scott Pruitt plagiarizes Chevron press release. 
That sounds real to me. <laughs> it does sound real. Gotcha. Oh! <laughs> Fake again. Oh. I know, only too true possibly though, wow. right? That, that, that probably actually, we need to look into that. <laughs> I bet he has done that. Um, number four, teen truckers would be dreamy for states that love the government. <laughs> uh, real? No! I just made that up. <laughs> Damn you, prevost. <laughs> All right. And finally, um, we'll give you a bonus too, but here's number five. Trucking industry struggles to cope with growing driver shortage. Real. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, that was kind of easy. Okay. Right. Wow. That's pretty much like Damn. every <laughs> headline for the past, um, uh, every day for the past several years. Um, bonus round for you. Last one. Um, Police appeal for information about chicken crossing road. I think you're kind of giving me a pump fake here. I'm going to say true. I'm going to say real headline. (laughs) Real news. Yes, I'll explain this one. It's absolutely real news reported by the BBC in 2016. Police were called when drivers in a British town spotted a lone chicken wandering the street and grew concerned. And the officers were dispatched to catch the hen. And then they reached out to the community to try to find the bird's rightful owner. Thanks for playing. British police are so quaint. (laughs) That is quaint, isn't it? But I thought the chicken crossing the road um, pertained to our... Uh, logistics situation here. But let's talk about the headlines of the week and the trade war escalating. Um, bring us up to speed. What is happening? Some some turns some turns in the story happened this very week. Yeah, so uh, the Trump administration, the White House, the Department of Trade, uh, Robert Lighthizer, our um, you know, US trade representative, announced some tariffs against China. Um, pertaining to especially certain industries where in order for foreign investments, uh, in order for American companies to operate in China, they have to surrender certain kinds of intellectual property rights. So we announced tariffs, and about 11 hours later, um, Xi Jinping and you know the Chinese government retaliated with um, a series of, you know, many tariffs against many kinds of products ranging from airplanes and automobiles to soybeans and can I can I can products. I take a time out I have a question about it so to my understanding because I haven't been like following the details completely of the story but uh, my understanding was like last week it seemed like China was gonna play softball and it was they were just gonna be like you know the adults in the room sort of and they were gonna be like well okay We'll just put a tariff on three billion dollars worth of things. It might affect some of the rural, you know, folks. Whatever the strategy is there, then it seemed like we, you know, the beginning of this week happened, and and it was like, wait a minute, it's like fifty billion or or something yeah. far more significant. Yeah, f- Fourteen billion just in soybeans. Fourteen billion just in soybeans, right? Which effectively. Like that, they're our main importer of soybeans, correct? So it effectively kills like a huge sector of that industry. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, uh, we published a story on this. Um, was it Ibrahim Bayan's story? I think it was last uh, week. I thought. Well, anyway, okay. I think anyway, this week. Anyway, there's a chart from Bloomberg that really shows 
the seasonal flows of Chinese imports of American soybeans. And it's kind of interesting because really um, Brazil and the U.S. are the biggest suppliers of soybeans to China. But when, you know, it, it's in the um, sort of around wintertime, New Year, Brazilian exports to China really fall. Okay. And that's when American exports rise to ah, sort of cover the balance. So China China tries to maintain a stable amount of imports, uh, you know, of soybeans coming in, but it but it you know, the flow from Brazil and from the US kind of alternate. Um this is really bad. I mean, even, yeah. even our state, you know, really like significant. Tennessee, West Tennessee, uh, soybeans are a really big important cash crop. Um if they're made you know, if they're basically non-competitive compared to Brazilian soybeans or soybeans from another country on the Chinese market, I mean, that's that's bad. What's the takeaway right now then? Like, where are we? Like, has has, has there been a response from the White House? Is yeah, there... well, so none of – the important thing to remember is that these tariffs haven't taken effect yet. And, you know, the stock market was kind of freaking out. Right. Um, it's really hard to know, you know, sort of – how all of this plays out. There are exceptions and, you know, various industries have certain kinds of exposure to different kinds of resources, that kind of thing. But it seems like this might have been a little bit of Trumpian bluster uh, in order to bring China to the table and kind of negotiate some other kind of deal. Um, I don't think... I, I, I know for a fact that, you know, that China doesn't want to impose these tariffs... We know it remains to be seen um, how committed the White House is to imposing yeah. um, far-reaching tariffs against China because we are in an election year. It's midterms um, in 2018. Most of the Republican legislators in Congress are not in favor of tariffs. They tend to be free traders. Um, you know, paradoxically, the support that Trump has gotten on tariffs have come from liberal Democrats. Yes, yeah, and so and so, the, you know, if if the t- if a trade war precipitates and markets uh, are affected negatively because of that, you know, people see their IRA values going down, their four hundred one ks going down. Who do they take it out on in two thousand? Uh, 18 midterms it's, it, you know it could be the republicans they yeah. can't vote against trump they can vote against republicans and they don't even they're not even in, by and large supporting this and so we might see a kind of a split between the congress the republican congress and president trump we might see the republican congress try to say you know okay trump like let's let's see if we can work this out let's see if we can do something different you've made your point now can we get a win can we get a slightly better deal you know save face not actually go down this road. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's a little early in the process, but I mean, for sure, it looks like there could be a way out. And in you know the, we'll see how the, far the, we go down that the, the road. The past couple of days, the stock market is is you know kind of has uh, been coming back, coming back up a little. Yeah, bit. after yeah. some a scary few days. Um, <clears throat> the next major story is it's starting to seem like. 2018 just might become the year, known as the year of the trucking capacity crunch. And, uh, you know, as we as we know, and everyone probably listening to our podcast knows, freight trucks are the lifeblood of America's consumer economy. 
<clears throat> they represent 71% of the nation's freight by tonnage shipped and an 81.5% of the nation's freight by cost spent, um, at least according to the data from the ATA, the American Trucking Association. Um, but what we're noticing... There's a trend happening is um, in the in the time of this capacity crunch has been happening for a few years. Wages for truck drivers have been going up. Um, there's some data that shows that from 20 to 13 to 20 to 17 that it's gone up. Um, you know, by about 15 percent to 53,000 on average. So some interesting things are happening. But do you think, as some are suggesting, that I mean? Is is just the a raise in driver pay, even if it's if it's significant? Do you think that will? Is that the, is that is there an easy button? No, there's not really an easy button. I, I in, my, in my personal opinion, and just from uh, the conversations I've had with recruiters, with uh, you know, CEOs of trucking companies, um, pe- you know, people who look at that sort of people who are in charge of driver retention. It's not that easy. Um, one data point that um, was kind of circulating on LinkedIn a few weeks ago uh, that makes me question whether driver pay is really a uh, cure-all for the driver shortage is that it seems like you know you can make the argument that as you know if there's if there's fifty thousand missing truck drivers from the workforce, which is what Bob Costello says. He says by twenty twenty six it could go up to one hundred and seventy five thousand if we don't do something yeah. about it. We've actually seen kind of an increase in the number of professional drivers, not truck drivers, but professional drivers on the roads. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about oh. Uber. I'm talking about Lyft. Um, th- that, yeah, those, like th- like like pe- like you're not talking about like freight dri- drivers. You're talking about like going, like basically becoming taxi drivers for for Uber and Lyft. Yeah, there's been a, a huge surge in the in those kinds of jobs and in, in those employment numbers. But what's interesting is that we know that those people don't actually make that much money. I mean, there right. have been studies that have come out uh, saying you know they're clearing you know like four bucks an hour after expenses. Uber disputes that says their their internal <laughs> studies show more. They didn't actually release it's the peanuts. data. It's peanuts. It's not it's not a lot. So. But but what is the advantage that Uber drivers have compared to over-the-road truck drivers? It's, one, working when you want to, and two, getting home every night. Right. And That's so a big one. It's these kind of the, quality of life issues um, that people the, are yeah, valuing. Yeah, we can name many things, right? Possibly more than, than, um, than money, you know, the, the total salary itself. And so, yeah, that makes me think. Uh, moves that carriers have made, like trying to transition more of the, more to regional lanes where dr- they can offer drivers more home time, that kind of thing might help them retain their high quality drivers better than just simply throwing more money. At them. Well, and especially, yeah. especially, you know, that that should be more effective than um, uh, signing bonuses. Right. Although, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the difference maker would be. I mean, I do know that, you know, so why is 2018 in particular uh, becoming maybe the uh, the story of the tightening capacity crunch? And it's it's due to kind of a perfect storm right now of increasing e-commerce retail, the uptick in construction and manufacturing, although, uh, you know, that has actually leveled off a little bit in the past couple of, of um 
months. Um, but it's also fueled just by a strong economy, uh, rising wages, um, and virtually full national employment. And and then actually of, of late, you top it all off with several consecutive massive weather events, um, especially across the Northeast. And, you know, supply has been dr- dramatically, drastically squeezed, uh, which certain, certainly is, is pushing up rates. Um, we'll, we'll see what the ELD mandate does, but I mean, you throw that on top of the fire, there are a lot of mitigating factors. Um, the, yeah, no, UIDA no. said something too. What, what was their suggestion? Oh, oh, it's the, um, owner operator independent driver association said mm-hmm. that trucker pay needs to be doubled. Doubled. Yeah. Like, and that, that could be the easy button. It's hard to see how, I mean, I, that's not going to happen, but you know, the last half of 2017, we saw really high spot rates. We saw a couple situations where spot rates were leading contract rates. Um, and yeah. that was really because we had high capacity – or sorry, sorry. We, we had high demand for freight. So we had strong economic fundamentals, you know, surging economy, some, some yep. months um, over 3% GDP growth. And we had – low overall supply in terms of capacity, in terms of trucks. So high demand coinciding with low capacity. Normally, you don't get both of those at the same time for a sustained period. Which we have had. But we've had that. We've had that. And so, you know, looking forward, if we're we're really talking about is 2018 going to be the year of the capacity crunch? Well, it's only a capacity, you know, no matter what the absolute number of trucks on the road is it's only a capacity crunch to the extent that demand exceeds capacity. And so we want to be looking at the, um, and we're going to be obviously be paying attention to this on freight waves, but the upcurrent, uh, upcoming earnings calls for, for major companies, especially trucking companies, um, to end, uh, first quarter, that'll be a good gauge to see, you know, how well, um, the economy is doing, you know, if earnings start to, you know, one thing that people have always said, um, if you if you pay attention to the stock market, is that you know people are saying, how long can this bull market last? It's, yeah. it's it's the second longest in American history so far. It's bull markets don't die of old age, of course, but you know, as long as the economic fundamentals are solid, it should continue. Yeah. And so we're always <clears throat> paying attention to the earnings. If the earnings start going down then demand will start going down. And then it doesn't really matter if there's a driver shortage. There just won't be as much freight. And so rates will fall. Yeah, possibly. It seems like autonomous vehicles have been taken out of the equation as a solution. Um, I'm glad that they're uh, they're they're pointing a finger and, and looking at like what can they do. We'll see what the solution might be. Uh, our final major headline of the week is what's the deal with coal? Um, you 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 know a lot about this subject. I thought coal was like basically like dead, but um, tell us a little bit about what's happening. Yeah, so I wrote this story earlier this week on BNSF and the future of coal. Um, you know, so we know you know so BNSF is you know the largest, second largest uh, rail. Yeah, by, by revenue, um, and they're not just out in Appalachia where we associate coal as being. No, they're actually out west, right? Um, and they're, they're a Berkshire Hathaway subsidiary. 
uh, last year. Which is owned by Warren Buffett. Yeah, Warren yeah. Buffett, Charlie Munger um, run, run that company. Um, last year, BNSF represented about 44% of Berkshire Hathaway's profit. So it's so, a lot. Uh, yeah, major, major component, major, major company. Here's the deal. Yeah. So American coal, coal isn't really dead. Coal production and consumption in America, if you look at long-term charts, rose exponentially from about 1870 until about 2008. Hmm. And then it started, that was its peak. And then it started to fall off. Okay. Um, one, you know, it had a pretty bad year in 2016, for example. Not that much coal was mined. Not that much coal was burned. Yeah. Basically because a lot of liquefied natural gas That's came right. onto the market from the shale uh, fracking boom at rock bottom prices. And so people... Also people, controversial. And so, yeah, also controversial. Also, you know, bad for the environment in different ways. But um, a lot of power plants converted from coal to gas. And so demand for coal immediately fell. That being said, coal is still really important to American electricity. I mean, if you... Tell us the kind of coal. You told me about this earlier this week. There, There's some kind of like low em, low sulfur fuel yeah, out west yeah, that they're, yeah. they're harvesting now. So what's really interesting is that um, Berkshire Hathaway... Sorry, not Berkshire Hathaway. BNSF has sort of a dominant position for the Powder River Basin okay. uh, coal fields, which are in um, Montana and Wyoming. Yeah. Sort of straddles Montana and Wyoming. Yeah, and you've um, got a cool map of that in your article. Yeah, and this coal isn't great coal. It's it's kind of wet. It's kind of dirty. It's kind of mixed in with the soil. You have to get at it with basically strip mining. It has fairly low BTUs, uh, you know, in terms of how much energy you can get out of it, it's fairly low compared to Appalachian coal. But yeah. it has really, really low sulfur right. content. And so when when um, the EPA really started regulating uh, power plant emissions in terms of sulfur released, Appalachian coal went down because it's high sulfur. And this suddenly became a thing. Because it's more valuable yeah. because it already would be lower emission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so you didn't have to spend as much money adding scrubbing technology to the power plant. You gotcha. could just use this coal that naturally had less sulfur. And so really in this region, in, in, for example, in 1970, basically no coal came out of this region. By 1988, uh, Wyoming was you know, producing more coal than any other state. And now it's producing, you know, three times as much coal as West Virginia, which is like the next uh, biggest coal-producing state. Um, and BNSF dominates this region, that, and they bring. Are they the only rail major railroad that is still profitable with, no, with no, coal no. or uh, with coal? With coal. Um, like. So the thing with BNSF is they have the most, the biggest proportion of their of their total carloads is coal. They're at seventeen point nine percent coal couple of railroads around 12% and then a, a, some railroads are like 5% or, or below. I see. So they have way more coal. They're way more exposed to coal in some ways. Um, and, you know, our question is, if coal continues to decline, is, is BNSF going to go down with coal or are they going to be the last coal carrier standing? 
And it's and it's ironic that even though it's alive and probably will be you know doing just fine as as what I ascertain through the next several decades to one extent or another, um, you know it is a fossil fuel. It, there it, it, there is a limitation to to it, and uh, I think even the late Hunter Harrison of CSX predicted that it would be dead. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Hunter long, Harrison said that fossil fuels were dead. Of course, he was saying that. Okay, because he's a competitor. Because CSX is in Appalachia. Appalachia calls going down. So he's trying to... But why would Warren Buffett himself say that? It's interesting. I don't know. That's the mysterious part of this whole story. Warren Buffett says if you're tired to coal, you're in trouble. On the other hand, Berkshire Hathaway buys BNSF. They buy uh, these Western utility companies that are very coal-heavy, like Pacificor, like Mid-American Energy. His... The actual... um, you know, the trains owned by Warren Buffett are taking coal to the power plants owned by Warren Buffett. I mean, it's, you know, you, you, we think of him as like the epitome of the, the prudent long-term <laughs> investor who's not, you know, just tr- trading on, uh, you know, temporary ups and downs. And yeah. so I, I get kind of a mixed message from him. I don't know. I think the real answer would be to look at how closely do BNSF coal volumes track to overall coal production and consumption to see how effective they actually are. Um, and you know, maybe that's a topic for a future story. <clears throat> uh, absolutely. Well, those are the uh, really interesting um, major headlines of the week. Now it's time to play Big Deal or Little Deal in which Chad and JP run down the rest of the stories in two minutes or under. Barry, production manager, are you timing us, sir? Okay, he's he giving us the thumbs up. Silent Barry has given us the thumbs up. Okay, we like Barry because he can't talk back, uh, and for other reasons. Uh, Chad is going to ask JP to begin this segment. Are you ready? I'm ready. The FMCA moves to exempt mirrorless trucks from federal regulations. Big deal or little deal? Little deal, but it's nice to see the FMCSA um, embrace this kind of technology and open up the regulations, allowing uh, video monitoring for trucks. Celadon, described as NAFTA's premier carrier, says its financial reports can't be relied on. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. Uh, Celadon shareholders found out that their uh, equity is worth a lot less than they thought. Um, It's been delisted from the New York Stock Exchange, so now it's trading over the counter. Um, and, you know, we, we're still waiting on the results of this turnaround. ELD's hard enforcement began April 1st. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. Um, the surveys by carrier lists have shown that even the small fleets are about 90% compliant. And it seems like the loss in productivity per truck has already been priced into the market. The ATA wants higher truck weight limits. Big deal or little deal? A surprisingly complex topic with a lot of competing points of view. It would be interesting to look at the Australian example, but little deal because, no, nothing's going to happen anytime soon. Construction activity stalls. Big deal or little deal? Yeah, there was another. It was another month, two months now of of like very flat reports on, on it. But I think it's a little deal. We need to keep our eye on it. It's a, also a complex topic. We uh, may just have been like receiving some hurricane uh, boost uh, at the end of the the end of last year. But I'm going to say little deal for now. But let's keep an eye on it. 
Georgia Port's Mason Mega Rail project seeks to double capacity by 2020. Big deal or little deal? Big, huge deal. I mean, it's like it's already a huge port. It's going to get bigger and bigger. They received a huge amount of funding. The the Norfolk Southern that runs out of there has almost 2,000 miles of track as it is. And CSX has 1,600. And uh, it's going to open up hundreds of thousands of jobs. And we went way over on that. But... Um, my, my thanks, Barry, for letting me know. Anyway, that was uh, the stories of the week. And that'll do it for the big stories this week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. And if you're into learning about technology that's shaping up the industry, you definitely want to be at Transparency 18 in Atlanta this May. Visit Transparency18.com to learn more about the event. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.